Hey everybody, welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And today we have two special guests. We have with us Mark Sims and Daniel Sheehan. Welcome guys. Hi, thank you, James. Yeah, thank you. And now uh, you guys are, you know, put together a pretty incredible event um, called the Making Contact Convergence. Um, but there is also the, the Making Contact Campus. Um, but just for listeners here, uh, could you just give us uh, an introduction to what is the Making Contact Convergence? The, the Making Contact Convergence is our inaugural event on a platform called the Making Contact Campus, which is a virtual 3D world where there are office buildings and various venues for hosting uh, community gatherings. Uh, they could be events, they could be private gatherings, uh, classes. Uh, we could have film festivals and art contests there. So it's uh, an attempt to establish a community hub for the CE5 movement. And anybody interested in having a discussion about initiating contact with extraterrestrials. So, um, so last year I did the Harmonic Convergence event. And this is the next, next iteration of that but we're doing it in this virtual place. And, and as you know, James, because you were part of the observation deck, you did a, a show there with uh, Richard Dolan. Um, so we, we learned about this virtual platform from Captain Ron and some of his events that he started there. And he and I worked out a, an agreement and this now has, uh, I've taken over uh, effectively the contract for this platform and have renamed it and rebranded it for this uh, you know, community hub that we're calling the campus or the contact campus or the making contact campus. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. And a, a lot of people are going to recognize the, um, the uh, one of the, the symbols that you use is actually from um, Alan Steinfeld, uh, Alan, yeah, Alan Steinfeld's new book, Making Contact, right? That's right. Yeah, he's a very dear friend. And we, I was actually there in Sedona back in early May, uh, on May 2nd, in fact, when he launched his book uh, in Sedona. And we did a three-day event there doing a CE5 each night on Zoom live and, and broadcast that, streamed that video uh, to anybody who joined us. And uh, that was in celebration of his book launch. And so uh, he had offered to uh, offer the, the, the graphic and that very iconic looking UFO as our first kind of, um, you know, graphic or brand for this. But, you know, we're going to, we have a more general brand that we're developing, uh, or maybe a more specific brand is a better uh, name for it for the campus. So it's its own platform and we can host other events. Like we are actually hosting the uh, Bringers of the Light event that the UK uh, organization uh, started by Rachel and uh, David uh, uh, Murphy Bonner um, with multidimensional show, the multidimensional show. So, uh, you know, they were doing that physically in the UK. I was going to be one of their presenters and lecturers and they had to cancel because of COVID. 
So we're doing it in supporting them virtually. So this is going to be a platform for other events to host virtually as well as physically. And we're going to continue you know, bringing traffic and keeping it fresh and keeping it relevant and uh, continuing this discussion about establishing a citizen's diplomacy initiative for establishing diplomatic relations with extraterrestrials. And how, how do we go about that? How does that discussion begin among the human family at a very uh, serious level and, um, and make it transparent and inclusive so people from around the world can engage in that discussion? So we felt a virtual 3D environment where people have a custom avatar and that they create and then you know, bring into the campus they can participate in this process and, uh, and um, help us do this. Definitely. And I do, I actually want to get into some of the speakers because you got a, a lot of really interesting speakers here. Um, but you, you touched on it a little bit there, but the idea of um, a citizen's uh, diplomatic initiative for contact, um, both you and Danny, I'd like to hear about like, why is that important? I'll let Danny field that question. Well, well yes, uh, James. The, the reality is, is that for many, many decades, you know, for 75 years, for example, the United States uh, political and military leadership found it in their interest to have this dialectical confrontation with the Soviet Union, uh, primarily at the behest of the American corporations who were upset about this major movement in the world that was undermining the, the kind of uh, robber baron era of being able to kind of you know, foist their, their economic interests on everybody in the world. Uh, and we saw that this was leading people to a potential total dis destruction of the world with two super uh, powers armed with nuclear weapons, et cetera. And there wasn't much progress being made with the, uh, they, they were not having a total destruction of the world, but that was the best you could say about it. Uh, and the, the bottom line is that we citizens decided we had to intervene in this whole process. Uh, and we reached out to start having meetings with Gorbachev uh, and Brezhnev and a number of other people. We started a citizens diplomacy program it was going on, lots of people in different walks of life and civilian life would go over to the Soviet Union and talk with them. And they had people coming back and forth to Esalen, the Esalen Institute. And uh, we were you know, sitting around uh, at a kind of resort talking to them, et cetera. And that really is what generated the Glashnost in Perestroika uh, in the decision on the part of Gorbachev to step back out of the Cold War uh, and try to undertake a serious disarmament program. Uh, this is analogous to that. And that is, is that the, the military and corporate uh, leadership of the United States uh, uh, and the leaders of other uh, nations around the world have for 75 years been engaging in this issue with regard to UFOs, uh, in gathering information, keeping it secret, you know, uh, lying about it. Uh, dissembling, actually attacking and destroying the reputations of people in the world who've been trying to get this information to come forward. Uh, and so the, 
we realize that if we're going to really be successful in this, uh, in time to deal with the issues of global climate change, you know, massive, massive uh, you know, nuclear weapons spread, the, the building of more and more of these private nuclear power plants along the sea coasts, you know, with the rising sea levels of having, you know, having potentially 115 different uh, Fukushima's with these nuclear plants that are right on the oceans, that the citizens have to rise up uh, because everything that's being done by the political leadership is too slow and too little. Uh, and so what we've decided is that we have to reach out directly to the people uh, that are coming in these UFOs, reach out to them both on their planets and in their vehicles where they're coming here to try to open a citizen's dialogue with the beings. That's what this is really all about. The CE5 uh, experience is demonstrative of how effective this can be. This is how Mark, for example, had his first contact experience uh, and opened up this kind of dialogue that he has with a particular extraterrestrial being. That we're, we're trying to open this type of experience to everybody. Uh, now, this is this is a sophisticated process. This is not just oh, you know just throw ourselves open, say here, why don't you all come and take whatever resources you want in our world, and you know, and we'll give you anything you want and. You know, it's not, it's not, can't be naive like that. It's got to be intelligent. It's got to be sophisticated. We have to have people that are trained in the arts of diplomacy and negotiations and all of that. But we have to get this started. And so, what we're in the process of doing is trying to recruit the people around our planet who are interested in this type of an outreach and a citizen's diplomacy to bring us all together to have a conversation about the complexities of this particular issue uh, and set up a training center where people can actually be trained. Now, we're, we're going to begin this process virtually where we can do as much of the training as we can possibly uh, virtually at this New Paradigm Institute that is a virtual uh, member of this Making Contact campus. But we also have a real place. We have a 70,000 square foot, you know, Art Deco hotel that's been provided to us 100 miles north of San Francisco on this big 18 and a half mile long lake where people can actually come together and physically gather, be trained, do holotropic breathing exercises, learn about the art of diplomacy, learn about the potential of being deceived and, and trying to figure out how to establish trust. All of these extraordinarily important aspects of diplomacy have to, people have to be trained to do this. But it, start, it has to start out with a goodwill, a desire to actually have a peaceful and constructive relationship uh, with the beings from the extraterrestrial civilization, not to have some sort of confrontation where we are attempting to foist our, the will of primarily of our major corporations, you know, onto the rest of the, the solar system and the rest of the universe so that they can exploit the resources of other planets for their own private gain. That is not the way this needs to go. Uh, we need to establish a more good faith outreach to the, to the extraterrestrial beings and begin to get them to share with us uh, at least their position with regard to why they're here, what they're doing here, what their interests are, so that we can begin to take this into account as citizens. Now, that's that's an extraordinarily important thing. And one of the other characteristics, I think, that is a feature of, of most of the people that are involved in the ET experience uh, is uh, trying to explore the issue of the theological, uh, kind of spiritual, metaphysical dimensions of this relationship. We, we see this as a, a major feature of our particular species, that virtually everywhere at all times, uh, down through, down through the, the ages, uh, the spiritual faculties of our human family have been perceived to be a central feature of our, of our 
species and that we want to explore with the extraterrestrial beings what what their experience is with this well what type of a theological uh, worldview do they have uh, what interest do they have in the spiritual evolution uh, of, of their species and of other species on, in the in the system that's that's those are some of the elements that are at play here uh, and we do not want uh, it to be dominated by simply economic self-interest and military self-interest, which seems to be the guiding principles of the major nation states. I have two questions there for you, Danny. Uh, one, you mentioned the Institute. Is that, is that the Institute you had been referring to for uh, quite a while? Oh, yes. This is the, the New Paradigm Institute that we've been talking about for many years. This is the, what uh, Dr. John Mack and I started talking about back in 1994. Uh, when uh, he had this major confrontation with Harvard University. Uh, and uh, he, he came to conclude, Dr. John Mack came to conclude as the head of the Department of Clinical Psychiatry that, that Harvard University was a representative of a very specific worldview. It was a scientific, logical, positivist, materialist worldview. Uh, and that, that that was why they couldn't accept the whole idea that there's an, either there's an extraterrestrial civilization and or that at least some of the vehicles that have been spotted in the UFO encounters may well be vehicles from an extraterrestrial civilization. It was just anathema to them, the entire concept of it. Uh, and this is what generated the confrontation with, with Dr. Mack. So when we finally resolved that peacefully, uh, he decided that what we really needed to do is to try to establish there in Cambridge, uh, where Harvard University is, an institute to be able to deal with this whole new paradigm that has to be developed, a whole new human worldview, to be able to integrate the reality of extraterrestrial civilization and what our relationship might be with it. That's where this whole conversation started. And it's been going on for, for many years since then. Uh, and so that's what it's evolved to now is our having gotten this major 70,000 square foot Art Deco hotel up 100 miles north of San Francisco. But given all the challenges of having to get 1929 wiring all fixed up and, and build the place out so there can actually be a physical location for people to come together to discuss these things. Mark, who is a, whose background is in computer graphics and computer programming, has said, wait a second. Why don't we establish the New Paradigm Institute virtually so we can bring people in from anywhere in the world to sit down uh, and have this very creative process of having people have the avatars that can sit at a table together to have this conference. Uh, we can talk to each other face to face by including plasma televisions, you know, with the actual uh, the actual presence of the person right behind their avatar eventually. Well, why don't we do it this way uh, in, in doing a lot of the pre-preparation uh, work that we need to do for this? And so, so it was Mark's idea to have this be a virtual New Paradigm Institute. And that's what we're involved in starting now. Yeah. And I, I just, there's, there's quite a few names on this, on the list of, of people who are going to be presenting at this event. Uh, I, I want to point out one remarkable one, because I've mentioned this gentleman several times on my, on my channel, because his, his public reaction has been, um, I think, sober, considering the, the implications of all this, is that uh, you got Eric Weinstein coming, huh? <laughs> yes, Eric. Eric, no, Eric, it was, it was extremely interesting. Uh, back on April 9th of this year, uh, Eric Weinstein invited me to be on his, his program, uh, the, the Portal, 
because because of my work as, as being legal counsel for the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case, having done the case that established the right of journalists to protect our confidential news sources, you know, by having been the legal counsel in the Karen Silkwood case to stop the construction of all private nuclear power plants, I've been legal counsel in the Iran-Contra case to expose the entire off-the-shelf enterprise, a number of cases of that nature, uh, including the Watergate burglary and others. So he had me on his show for five and a half hours. Uh, and we, we went through uh, a, lot, a lot of the history uh, of those cases. Uh, and then two or three weeks later, I get a call at like 11 o'clock at night. And, and some friends of mine called up and said, hey, this Eric Weinstein, the guy that, whose show that you were on, he's on the clubhouse uh, uh, talk. And he's talking about UFOs. Uh, it's the first time we've ever heard him talking about UFOs at all. Uh, you, ought to, you ought to get on there uh, to, to talk with him. So I popped onto the, to the clubhouse thing and he right away said, oh, look, uh, we have Danny Sheen here who's done a number of really interesting cases in the past. They don't have anything to do with UFOs or anything, but let's see what he thinks about this. And so he, uh, completely unknowing what my background was in this, called me up, quote, to the stage uh, and asked me what I thought about it. And then, of course, I revealed to him the fact that I was the attorney back in 2001 for the, the Dis Disclosure Project. I was a legal counsel for the, the citizens' hearings with David uh, Bassett. I was, you know, legal counsel in the, the Jimmy Carter uh, analysis of UFOs and extraterrestrial life. I've been at this for uh, some serious uh, period of time. And so I, I kind of revealed that in the clubhouse conversation. And then Eric, Eric just became extraordinarily uh, more interested in this whole program because he viewed me as being a very, very serious investigator and researcher. And I had been legal counsel for the Jesuit order at their national headquarters in their social ministry office in Washington. So he began to invite me to come and talk with him and he and I had a lot of conversations about this, and he's become more and more interested in this particular subject. And so that he has agreed to be on our discussion to, to, to sort of anchor a particular place of a person who previously didn't believe in any of this stuff and who now sees that this is an extraordinarily important discussion that has to be held among our people. So he's going he's gonna to be one of the first featured speakers at our, at our whole event. Yeah, that's going to be incredible. I think a lot of people are going to want to hear what uh, Eric Weinstein has to say about the subject. Again, his his tweets on the subject so far have been legendary, you know, because <laughs> because really because he's he's reacting like people should be reacting like, holy crap, this is actually real. How come it's not a bigger deal? So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, a lot of why, why isn't everybody's hair on fire? Uh, yeah. Over this thing, he's saying, "Look, because his is now his hair is on fire over this subject, uh, and he yeah. plans to dig in and get a number of other of these Mensa type level characters <laughs> that he hangs out with. I would say characters, people, you know, yeah. he he hangs out with to get them interested in this. So he's going to try to gather a lot of these genius level people to turn their attention to this thing. Now, there's no reason to be afraid of this subject anymore." Right. And I, I think that's the case. Uh, I did want to bring up um, some of the other members, but uh, just for Mark, um, Mark, I, I'm on my mobile right now, so uh -huh. I don't know if I can do a share, a screen share. OK, well, if you just do. I can uh, see make, you. Yeah. yeah, you can make me host and uh, or co-host. And I, that gives me the ability to share my screen and I can give people uh, a quick uh, tour of the campus and uh, 
So if you do that, I'll be able to do that. I'll be able to share with everyone else. All right. All right. All right. Okay, so um, I'm going to take you into the um, campus, and this is uh, the welcome area. And in fact, uh, there's uh, somebody here next to me. Kate is one of our volunteers. Hi, Kate. Hello. <laughs> so uh, here, I'm going to go over there to her and um, and we can just have a conversation. Um, you see that table there with the dashed uh, blue line indicates a private area. So if you're sitting with others in that uh, blue dashed area, you nobody's going to hear you who's not inside of that area. But yeah. uh, this, this is called the welcome area. And the welcome area has a kiosk here where there will be a message board about the um, uh, schedule through the week of our event. And, um, and then these are links that you can click on and will take your take you to like support or uh, the schedule on the website. So by clicking on these uh, buttons here on the wall, your native browser on your computer will open up and show you the schedule. Um, we have an art contest and the, the, the speakers for the event will be shown. Um, this is the actual map of the campus. And if I click on this plus sign, this will uh, blow it up so I can, um, can get a better view of it. So this is a bird's eye view of the Making Contact campus. And you can see there where we're located in the middle of the campus. And on the left are all the different places or venues that you can teleport to from your go-to menu. So up here in the left-hand corner is a list of the available places you can teleport to. And so if I teleport, for instance, to the Expo Hall, that's number two here. That's um, you know that, that location right there. And um, and number three is the auditorium. So the auditorium is right here on the map. And in fact, what I'll do is just close this down and I'm gonna walk over to the auditorium. And by the way, before I leave this area, I just wanna mention this welcome desk is where our volunteers like Kate will be seated during the event to help them get to the venue or where the you know, speakers are currently uh, at. So there she is. And she'll have it, that special badge. That's our new logo. Uh, hard to see right now, but uh, you'll see it around campus here in a moment. And so, um, so that's that's what's going on. I'm going to run up here to the auditorium. Oh man, you're fast. <laughs> yeah. And so this is uh, our auditorium, and we've created some uh, custom art uh, up here in the auditorium. And this is what the, uh, what the, uh, it'll look like from sitting down in the front row. And I can change my perspective by hitting this um, menu at the top. So this is the center screen, the left screen. This gives you a view of all three screens with the, uh, you know, person speaking on the, on the podium. 
And uh, so this is what the experience is like for an attendee who's sitting in the audience watching a presentation. And these screens are available to the presenter for slideshows or videos or other content that they want to present during their lecture. Um, so, uh, so that's this uh, auditorium seats 2,000 people. I'm going to turn off my microphone so you don't see that big balloon popping up. So now I'm muted and uh, we've curated some beautiful artwork. This was done by Malcolm Carter. He's an amazing artist from Canada who uh, we've engaged with to, to do all the artwork here. And so that's our auditorium where most of the speakers will pre be presenting. But we also have a uh, area that we call the Cyberspace Lounge. And this will be the first place where people will be coming. In the Bay Area. Oh, Hi. Here we go. And Mike's in the room. Hi, Michael. Hi. Ah. Whoops. I got Hi, Michael. Hey. Uh, I'm doing a live show on uh, engaging the phenomenon with James Islandoli. And so I'm, uh, I'm just doing a tour right now. So you'll excuse me if I'm, uh, I just pass on through. So, uh, so we've got th this uh, lounge as a location where people can come in and um, choose and get to talk to each other and they can sit. Well, hi, how are you, Carly? Hello. Good. I'm, uh, I'm doing a live tour on, on engaging the phenomenon with James, James Islandoli. And so Danny Sheehan and I are right now being interviewed for his uh, podcast. Oh, wonderful. Okay, well, I'll take some people. Oh, okay. Aside. No problem. Hi, everyone. Hey, Kate. Hi. So, so uh, James, what uh, you can do with your avatar is... Um, you can dance, for instance. We can pipe in music, and I, I can dance with my avatar. And we've actually had line dances and with small groups of people in here. We had about 20 the other night, our opening yeah. night, all doing a line dance together. It was really fun. And uh, <laughs> so we're going to be doing music videos, uh, premiering some new music that uh, nobody has heard before for this event. And um, you can see it's really quite a beautiful place, how we've uh, curated this. Yeah. And yeah, it looks really nice. Yeah. <laughs> There's Michael dancing. <laughs> Doing the swing. <laughs> so, you know, it's really encouraging people to engage and interact and build community. So this is ultimately going to become a community hub where people can come together and have interactive discussions on various topics, all, you know, having to do with the Citizens Diplomacy Initiative and making contact and doing global CE5s in an attempt to engage and uh, establish a formal program to outreach to our star family. Mark, do you want to you want to show you want to show James? Like one of the conference rooms where we might have a panel, the panel yeah. discussions. How you, how you, how we can sit people at the table with their avatars and have a conversation around the table. Yeah, absolutely. Let's. Um, well, I'm going to take you to the um, 
Experiencer Hall. This is one of the places that Danny is referring to. And uh, so we can have an experiencer uh, speaking here. Uh, and those web boards up on the stage are accessible for doing presentations. And then we um, have the, the tables for people to gather and have private discussions about their experiences or about you know, a specific topic related to a citizen's diplomacy initiative. And so th this is one of the many venues where we will be you know, doing activities and programs during the event. And when I step out of here, I'm coming out right outside the campus. Well, this actually takes me back to the welcome area where we were before. And um, and so we have, let's see, second. Um, let's uh, go to, um, let's go to the beach. This is a fun spot where we will be having programs and activities. This is a, this is a stage on the beach where people will be listening to music and um, uh, the, we can play videos. This is a little uh, DJ booth. I can cr crawl up here since I have the proper permissions. And from here, I can play music and control what's on the screen. And avatars, people who, with their avatars can dance, or we can give presentations from here. Um, so this is a, another one of the venues. Um, and then these boats are actually drivable. You can jump inside of them and uh, start, you know, going around the, the, the island. Whoops, got hung up on, there on the rocks. Here, we'll go this way. <laughs> so uh, I've got the sound turned off right now to help, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, so we're really encouraging a community space, a hub where people can come together and have this discussion. And we're gonna be adding more functionality to this uh, so that there's, it's a resource center as well as a community center. And uh, we have some really big plans and announcements that we'll be making um, you know, when, uh, when we have our event. Yeah, and the um, this is this campus is a long-term campus, right? It's not just for the event, right? That that's right. So after our event, we're going to ha be having other events. Uh, I already mentioned the uh, founder, uh, the bringers of the Light Conference uh, will be hosted here. Um, so we're making it available to them. And uh, one of the things we're talking about is having people that have podcasts like yours. You could be doing it virtually from here. Uh, as well as from wherever you're at now. Uh, but what's advantageous about having it here is that your followers can watch a live broad uh, podcast and do a Q&A session live on your program with the guest and their avatar if they have one. And so that's where we're going to go with this. We're going to keep it fresh. We're going to keep uh, things uh, go ongoing. And, uh, and we'll have free memberships eventually. We're gonna have a free membership program that gives you limited access to certain areas of the campus. And then we anticipate having you know, a monthly membership uh, where you can come and have more access to the campus and, and take classes. We'll have free classes. There's uh, classrooms here 
that we can make available to lecturers and presenters and, and make them available. And uh, those classrooms can be set up so that they're password protected and only people with the press password uh, can gain entry into the classroom where that presenter is giving a class. So this is gonna become a full featured uh, multi-purpose platform where people from around the world can gather and it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we wanna engage in the international CE5 community and other organizations that, are, that have you know, synergy and add, add value to this question of how to go about making contact with our, our, our star family. Yeah, and you know, actually speaking of the event, I wanted to um, to get actually uh, Danny's word on this because we, we were talking about it before we went on, um, was that, um, you know, you got a lot of interesting guests here that are gonna be presenting at the Making Contact event. Um, some, some would even sound, uh, I guess you could say controversial. Uh, so like Marshall Van Summers, for instance, people have said, oh, you know, he's, he's against contact. So, um, you know, what's, what are some of your perspectives on that and, you know, why he's being part of the event and, and so on? Well, uh, I mean, it's important if, if we're going, our human family is going to have a, an intelligent discussion. Uh, about the issue of contact with an extraterrestrial civilization, we have to have people who are who are setting forth different perspectives on the question in order to have it fleshed out. I mean, it isn't going to do any good to have every pick hand pick people who just all take one position on the whole thing and potentially miss out on reflecting on other points of view. Now, but we want the people to be be serious people. They they need to be cordial and civil. You know, we don't need people here who are going to insult everybody and consider anybody who doesn't agree with them to be some uh, horrible betrayer of them. Or so. We can't have any of that stuff. You know, we, we're going to try to get people to stay centered uh, and respectful of each other and have an intelligent discussion. So you can see that people like Eric Weinstein, for example, he, he used to be critical of people who thought that there was an extraterrestrial civilization, who thought that UFOs were real, uh, who thought that there was such a thing as a potential telepathic communication. Uh, and, and now he, he, has started, he has started to get more and more information uh, and he has a, a very important perspective to bring to this. And there are some people like Marshall Summers who, who is perfectly cognizant of a lot of the facts about what's going on, but has in fact uh, had what he views to be a different experience. Uh, with extraterrestrials through telepathic communications. And the, the, he's, not, he's not suggesting that they're coming here to eat us or to take our children or do anything like that. He's just saying, look, we need to be a bit more cautious in reflecting upon what the full repercussions are, uh, that we need to be careful not to have our entire uh, human civilization kind of just simply absorbed into some sort of a major galactic civilization and lose all of the uniqueness of our particular culture, our particular human species. So he's he sounded uh, some notes of caution, uh, but that that's what's going to be generating the conversation, so that we can focus on these questions and get a a discussion around the table. You know, not have any one person dominate it, insisting upon everybody agree with them, but to go around the table to share their different points of view, to have people that are first string people. Uh, in this conversation, all sit together at a table and have this conversation, whereas thousands of people would say, 
boy, would I ever like to be a fly on the wall in that conversation? <laughs> well, here they are. They get to be the people sitting in the audience. And that's what that's what we're going to be doing here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, otherwise, I'd ask, how did how did you get Lou, Luis Elizondo <laughs> to participate in an event called Making Contact? Uh, which well, which your, Yeah, go ahead. Well, it was it was interesting that uh, Lou Lou has agreed to participate in this primarily because I asked him to. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm his lawyer, uh, and I suggested to him this would be much to everyone's advantage to have him participate in this conversation. He has already taken a very clear position that he believes that the vast majority of these UFO encounters that have been credibly verified are not, in fact, some super secret technology. Uh, of, of our people, though some of them may be, but the vast majority of them are not. Uh, and he is completely convinced as a, a, a lifelong counterintelligence expert in the United States government uh, and as the director of the classified program uh, studying UFOs, that it's, it's infinitesimally unlikely uh, or infinitesimally likely that these are Russian or Chinese. Uh, because he said it would be the biggest, it would be the biggest catastrophic failure of intelligence in the history of the world if China had or Russia had a technology like this and we didn't know about it. Uh, in fact, he knows we do know and they don't have it. Uh, so that then the question arises: Well, what are these things? You know, and where are they coming from? And, and who's who's behind them? Uh, and so that he's willing to have a discussion about what the different potential theories are as to where they come from. And one of them is, of course, that they are extraterrestrial. Uh, this is what Eric Davis communicated. Dr. Eric Davis communicated to the Senate Intelligence Committee back in October that those inside the government who have looked closely at this phenomenon. Uh, are of the opinion that these are extraterrestrial in origin. Uh, and Lou is willing to join into that conversation and have the discussion about this. Uh, and uh, others, you know, uh, who, have, who have come to grips with this, this issue, come to see that that is a very salient question here. And he's willing to discuss it. As, uh, you know, kind of just part of that conversation is, um, are there any updates on the uh, Inspector General conversation right now? Yes, yes, that uh, uh, we, we were there a month ago uh, meeting with the Inspector General's uh, people. They've brought the people from different divisions of the Inspector General's office that might be pertinent to this basic uh, evaluation of the UFO phenomenon. Uh, just last Thursday, uh, Chris Mellon uh, went and met with the Inspector General's people to share information that he has about this entire investigation. And uh, what he understands to have been some of the activities involved. Uh, so that, because the inspector general's people are completely in the dark about this. You know, this, this has been going on now for 75 years with elements of the United States Defense Department being involved in not only monitoring these, these UFOs, but, but, uh, but at least in my opinion, in the opinion of many experts, uh, actually having recovered uh, more than one of these vehicles uh, that has crashed. Uh, and that they're involved in analyzing its technology, et cetera. And yet uh, that information is being kept away from uh, the vast majority of people, not only inside the United States military, but inside the, uh, the United States government who would need to know about this uh, are being kept in the dark about this. And so the, one of them is the inspector general's office of the defense department. <laughs> they, yeah. they don't know. They don't have a clue about what this is all about. So we are in the process of attempting to explain to them 
what the information is that we know about these, these vehicles so that they can begin to try to determine what type of protocol uh, the United States Defense Department should have with regard to the, this phenomenon because they, they don't have a clue yet, and, but they're in the process of doing that. Yeah. Uh, can the inspector general subpoena people or to call people in? I mean, what's well, the, the inspector general sure can call people in. Uh, it's, it, they don't usually have to use a subpoena because the Defense Department has control over people that are Defense Department employees. So at least all of the people that are employed by the Defense Department in one agency or another have to come in. When the inspector general tells them to come in and they have to answer questions uh, because they're subject to discipline inside the military if they don't comply with the inspector general's request. So uh, there are other agencies such as the Central Intelligence Agency and the National Security Agency and others that are not directly under the auspices, obviously, of the inspector general's office. But the inspector general's office is going to be working very closely with the director of national intelligence. And the director of national intelligence has jurisdiction over people in these other agencies and can, if the, the, she chooses to do so, make them talk, you know, and make them talk to the inspector general's office. Yeah, well, because, you know, we've uh, I, I've talked about it on this channel many times the, uh, the the Wilson Davis notes, you know, it's a it's a popular subject, I guess you can say nowadays, where there's this notes taken by Dr. Eric Davis after he had a meeting with um, Thomas Wilson uh, in yep. 2002. Now, um, could they could just call Wilson in and ask him about something like that? Sure, they can. And if, if yes, he has, yes. <laughs> if, okay, so if he, but say he's like, you know, he has his clearances, whatever, does he have the right to say, you know, I don't know anything? Can he just? Well, no, he can't lie to them uh, unless he doesn't know anything. I mean, he has now taken the public position that, that that's a completely bogus set of notes, that it doesn't exist. But the fact is, is that if, in fact, he were briefed in at a high level of security, he would think it's OK to say that, right. uh, at least to a public forum. Uh, he doesn't believe there's anything wrong with lying to the American public. I'm not saying he is lying. I'm saying right. but you saw, you saw Oliver North, for example, in our case, in the Iran-Contra case. He stood right in front of Congress and said, well, sure, I lied to you. Uh, this is a classified <laughs> program, you know, and it's, it's, you know, so I'm going to lie to you if you ask me if I know anything about it. Uh, and nobody did a thing to him, you know, yeah. nobody, yeah, he flat out admitted he lied to Congress. They never did a thing to him. You know, uh, they, they ended up, they ended up eventually the special prosecutor, Lawrence Walsh, charging him with lying about not being completely honest about having taken a security fence to put around his home given to him by Richard Secord, which is like nothing you know, compared to all the other lying he did to Congress. So that so the, the, there's a whole bunch of protocols that are going on uh, inside the Defense Department because the United States government, ever since the National Security Act of 1947, believes that it's a national security state, you know, and that somehow we are involved in this protracted war against everybody else in the world who doesn't agree to have them have us dominate them. Uh, and anybody who doesn't subject themselves to our domination is viewed as hostile. And that's basically part of the perspective that some of the Defense Department has about the UFOs. They are not yeah. subjecting themselves to our control. They're not getting permission from us to fly in our planetary airspace. And so, therefore, they constitute a threat to the national security of the United States. Well, that is something that has to be analyzed by the Defense Department. Is, right. that, a proper, is that a proper perspective? 
for uh, for an agency of our government to be taking? And if not, how are we going to change it? And I have two, two other questions regarding the uh, inspector general. Have they talked to Dr. Davis, the inspector general, number one? And number two, I, I believe you, you mentioned a gentleman from the Air Force that was sitting in on um, some yes. of these conversations. Yep. So uh, for Eric Davis, have they brought him in? I don't know. I don't yeah. know who all the people are yet. We're we're going to be we're going to be coming going to see them again uh, sometime this month, probably before the end of the month, uh, and we'll see whether they are open to answering questions to us as to who they have talked to, who they haven't. What we have done is we've we've communicated with them the names of some of the people they should talk to. Right. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. we're, we're going to see whether it's going to be reciprocal. Are they going to be able to tell us who they've talked to, who they haven't talked to? They, they're probably more likely to tell us who they haven't talked to yet <laughs> yeah. to see whether we, we have some more names for them. Now, and uh, a gentleman um, just came out with a book recently, Ross Coltart, called In Plain Sight. And he, he mentioned that, you know, during his investigation, after, you know, he puts out the book. So people are kind of reaching out to him from intelligence and, and so on. And uh, the impression that he got was that the, the U.S. Air Force was trying to shut this down, what's going on right now, with things starting to open up. Uh, is that reflective in what you're seeing with the gentleman, the U.S. Air Force guy? No, he was, he, he was uh, perfectly cordial to us and was asking questions, and we were conveying information to him. Uh, you know, and he, was, he was brought in by the inspector general to sit and participate in the conversations. Uh, and, uh, and I'm assuming that more people are going to be brought into these conversations with Lou and me. Is that Air Force gentleman at a high rank? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was at high rank. <laughs> yeah. But, and then, but then there's the, the question of, well, it doesn't matter if you're rank, if you're read into a program or not. That's so right. You run into that problem of the chain of command being, uh, you know, thrown to the side in, in some of these programs, the way it seems, yeah, uh, just like how... A tip, um, you know, people were saying, "Oh, Lou didn't, <laughs> Lou didn't uh, work with A tip, and they didn't investigate UFOs." It, even at at that unclassified level, that you know, uh, it seemed that the chain of command, you know, you had to have the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, you know, trying to get information on some of this stuff, and you know, it's like, why didn't they know this whole time? Well, this is this is one of the problems that the Inspector General is looking at. You say, wait a second. When you have an entire chain of military command and there's some other kind of program going on that totally disregards the chain of command, not only the chain of command between and among ranking officers, but the chain of command between the civilian and military. You know, when you when you have a president of the United States that is not briefed in on these programs and is told that they're not going to brief him in because he doesn't have a need to know. <laughs> You know, even after he's asked for the information, that constitutes a significant problem. Uh, that's a problem inside our constitutional democracy. That's a constitutional question of the separation, not only the separation of powers, because that's inside the executive branch. The executive yeah. branch is all under the president. Uh, and so that they, they, you would think they would have to give the president information if he asked for it. Uh, and if they refuse to do that, somebody ought to investigate as to why that isn't happening. And the inspector general's office is one of the right ones to do it. And um, for, you know, during this whole process, is there anything that new that you learned that was a surprise to you? 
Well, I'm not I'm not at liberty to discuss everything uh, that we've we've discussed so far, uh, not because I'm not inclined to do so. <laughs> not, and I refuse to take any security clearance here. Uh, but but I do know that in in the spirit of trying to promote and promulgate this conversation to get as much done as we can possibly do, uh, it's probably going to be appropriate not to say uh, some things that I know about. Uh, part of it is because I don't want to I don't want to. Uh, freak out uh, the inspector general uh, who thinks I may be talking out of shop, but there's, but, but the, the short answer is uh, no, uh, there's, there's nothing that I have been told so far that I didn't basically know already. Uh, yeah. And that's why when I was approached to get a security case, I said, listen, you know, years ago, <laughs> I was told by Robert Fink, who was the chief investigator for Bella Abzug, who was assigned to the uh, congressional investigation of the CIA and all he says, don't ever, don't ever take a security clearance, because I know, Danny, from your past and your experience, you can find out anything you want. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you don't need to get a, you don't need to have them telling the whole world you violated your security clearance because you found out something that they didn't even tell you about. So I'm not going to take a security clearance and I can find out almost anything that we need to know. Yeah. And are you guys facing any kind of resistance? No, uh, Lou was, obviously. Lou was facing yeah. all kinds of resistance inside the Defense Department when he was trying to get information. That was part of what he was upset about. He said, look, I've been delegated by the United States Congress to, you know, pursuant to a specific authorization to conduct this investigation. And I've got all kinds of people telling me they won't tell me the information they've got. You know, that's, that's quite upsetting. You know, and then he knew that they were lying. They were lying to the public about things he knew they knew and they were lying about it. Uh, and so that he became quite upset about this. He tried to communicate with the Secretary of Defense, uh, with, with the Secretary of Defense Mattis, you know, and his superiors were cutting him off from even having a line of communication to the secretary, you know, so that, that this was not acceptable. Uh, now that's fairly clear that, that the inside our discussions with the Inspector General's office is perfectly clear that there were all kinds of things happening, uh, blocking that investigation that were totally unconstitutional uh, and illegal and in violation of military protocol. Uh, and yet they, they seem to be aware of the fact that there is some sort of special exception for this particular program, <laughs> that yeah. somehow the law doesn't apply to it. Somehow uh, there's been some system set up that takes outside of the law, outside of our constitutional framework of government, the actual supervision of this particular program. Somebody's got to do something about that. And this is the time to get that done. And yeah, so exactly where I was going is what's what's the best case scenario from this evaluation or investigation going on with the inspector general and the UAP issue? Well, the, the, be the best outcome would be that it, that it evolves from a, a mere evaluation into an actual investigation to, you know, that they, they need to start to set up a bit of an adversarial attitude, you know, inside the inspector general's office. They're not here just to make things better for the Defense Department, you know, though that's what they say, that they've got to figure out who are the bad guys here. If there are bad guys involved in, in doing stuff that's unconstitutional, stuff that's illegal, you know, trying to destroy the lives of honest citizens who are trying to report something in good faith, 
you know, if if they if they have to start investigating that because it's quite clear that people aren't willing to come forward and admit some of the things that are going on here. So I'm hoping the best thing would be is for this to evolve from a mere evaluation into an active investigation, and that the investigation pulls out the truth of this uh, and gets the truth completely communicated to the Inspector General's office, and then gets completely communicated to the President of the United States. Uh, and to the officials, the civilian officials that are, whoops, are you still there? Yep. Yeah, we're here. Oh, something here. happened. Something, I just got uh, unzoomed here or something. All right. That, that I'm just hoping that that, that will happen uh, and that we can, we can get our entire uh, government first uh, with our citizens on board, finding out what is going on with regard to the UFO issue. And we can start to organize around our planet to start to prepare for how we how we establish appropriate diplomatic relations with the extraterrestrial beings, if in fact it's true that the that the vast majority of these UFO sightings that have been confirmed turn out to be extraterrestrial in origin, uh, that we need to come to grips with this question as a human family now. And I think I think that when, if, if if the the citizens of this planet were told point blank, listen. We're being engaged by some other intelligence that's technological and advanced. I think most people's, you know, thinking mind would go there, you know, to the idea of contacts. Um, yeah. But um, I know I know you got to go, Danny. Um, but I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, sure. You know, there's been a lot of talking and whispers about congressional hearings, both classified and public. What what's your read on 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 congressional hearings taking place, both? classified and then a public version well i think the 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 problem the problem with most of the public presentations that congress engages in is they're just dog and pony shows you know they they they're they're completely choreographed people know what the questions are that are going to be asked they've they've filtered out information that they think the american public shouldn't know you know uh and so that it's the the that i do not think that uh, immediate public hearings are going to be anything other than just contrived. I think that what we need to do is have is is many profound uh, investigations going on by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, the the Senate Armed Services Committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee. That this is a subject that needs to be looked into by a, a, a half a dozen different committees in Congress, both in the Senate and the House. And then what they have to do is set up some sort of a, a, a method by means of which the actual factual information that is known by every single agency and agent of our government uh, and the scientific community and the corporate world is gathered together and made available for our congressional representatives. Our congressional representatives have to have them meet some means of evaluating this information. I think both the House and the Senate need to be involved uh, in that uh, so that we have a collective view of, on the part of our representatives. And then a conscious decision has to be made to reveal as much of this information to our people uh, and to the people of the world as can be done without damaging uh, some legitimate interest. Now, th right. that's where the big rub comes as to what yeah. is a legitimate interest in keeping any of this confidential. I think that that's probably minimal. 
this is the art, the discussion I had when I was represented the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case. The Nixon administration and the, the Justice Department under, Ed, under uh, Mitchell, they took the position that every single page, every single paragraph, every single sentence, every single word in 47 volumes of this top secret program were classified and that it would irreparably damage the national security of the United States to reveal certain information in there. But they would never tell us what that information was. And so we insisted upon revealing all of it, you know, all 100, all 47 volumes of it. Okay, so now that, that we can go through that process again uh, if they want. Uh, I'm experienced at how to do it. Uh, we can assemble the same team of lawyers that we did to represent the New York Times to get that done again. But I want the United States Congress to come forward and to insist upon it being briefed in full about what the information is that is known about this phenomenon. And then we can deal with our congressional representatives to see what it is that can be and needs to be revealed to the rest of the people. I think that probably 95% of the information ought to be revealed to the people. And I'm not even clear at this point in time what the 5% might be. There should not be. But there may be something there. But I certainly don't know what it is yet. And, and uh, I'm pretty thoughtful about this whole thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think one of the major things is at least let the people know the fundamental reality aspect of that there's some kind of other intelligence. Absolutely. You know? And uh, I mean, cause that that fact alone, I think, would really open the minds and and, you know, prepare us for another another wave, really, a really another way of thinking that's hopefully <laughs> a little more mature, you know, knowing well, that. we're Well, that that's what that's what our conversation, the conversation that we're going to be beginning on the 18th of August, going through the 22nd, is that conversation is assuming now that it's been confirmed that the UFOs are real and confirmed that the UFOs are not Russian or Chinese, and that the vast majority of them, at least, are not ours. Uh, and you have the people that are in charge of the investigation inside the Pentagon thinking the likelihood is that they're extraterrestrial. And you have the Catholic Church calling for a major discussion among the people about what the implications are of the existence of an extraterrestrial civilization. You know, what, that we need to have that conversation now. We cannot sit around waiting for the government, even though I want all of these things to be going on inside the government and inside our Congress. I don't think the citizens, we citizens can sit around waiting for this, just the same way we've been sitting around waiting for them to solve global climate change. They're not doing it. Uh, and so that we have to do this. This has to be an uprising, a, a civilian peaceful uprising on the part of our citizens to get this job done. Uh, the job needs to get done to stop global climate change, which is the a lot of the UFO contacts have been warning us about. Uh, and we've got to have a, an uprising to get this information spread out about who this extraterrestrial civilization is, what their intentions are, and what kind of constructive and safe diplomatic relations we can have with them. That's what we need to do now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know, Danny, you, Danny, you might have to go yeah. now. I do. And, uh, so thank you so much for coming. But uh, uh, Mark, you're still here. Mark, Mark, stay with you. Mark, Mark. Yeah. Sorry about it, Mark. I didn't mean to. Oh, no, no problem, Danny. <laughs> that was great. I was okay. riveted. Okay. All right. You guys keep on going. I'll, I'll go and I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thanks for All coming, right. Danny. Thank you. Thanks, James. Oh, there you uh, are. Okay. So, James, All right. um, 
I want to uh, share my screen with you, um, with your viewers about the website that we have made a special um, promo code for all of your listeners watching this to take $100 off or to save $100 off of the standard ticket price for the uh, for this um, event. So I'm going to pull this up here real quick. And um, let me just pull up the main site. Here's um, the Making Contact Convergence ticket. So if you just go to the main page, um, there's, there will be, let's see here. Um, okay, I guess I can't get there from uh, to the main homepage, but if you select this register button, you can add a single ticket or multiple tickets to the cart. And then if people type in James save 100 without any spaces and apply the coupon, they'll get $100 off. So that comes to a total of 149 to, to buy a ticket to this five-day event. And so this is a really big deal because it's an, our inaugural event on a platform that is the first kind of first of its kind, a virtual conference of five days in length with these amazing speakers. And, um, and people who attend will be able to access a video portal if they miss one of the lectures. And uh, I just wanna again, take you through some of the speakers. We've got Jimmy Blanchett, who is going to be talking about his new protocol. This is the one based on his radio contact protocol, but he's got a new name for it. And he's gonna be sharing some new revelations that he just found out in, in the last week that he's uh, shared with me. So on the evening of the first day, August 18th, we are going to be on, on the platform together for two hours, sharing some of the most exciting news we have about this new contact modality um, and why it's so revolutionary. Uh, Ralph Blumenthal, who was the journalist with the New York, New York Times, who broke the story back in December 2017, uh, featuring Lou Elizondo and then those very famous Navy uh, videos of Go Fast, Gimbal, and um, Tic Tac. Jimmy Church is gonna be on our show. Cheryl Costa, who just published a new book with her partner uh, on the uh, all the UFO sightings within the US from 2000 till 2020. And she's got an amazing uh, uh, amount of data and um, a knowledge base there that can be mined. And she'll be presenting that. Adam Curry from the Pear Institute at Princeton, um, Richard Dolan, who we all know and love, who's just one of the real rocks in the, from yeah. a historical perspective. He's a good friend of yours and mine. Um, and he'll be formally presenting uh, on Saturday when we have Lou Elizondo uh, on our panel. And uh, he will also be talking about the latest news that he has. Uh, James Garrison from Ubiquity University, uh, who's the um, co-founder and president of the Gorbachev Foundation uh, and the State of the World Forum. Um, so he's uh, got a perspective from a theological standpoint because he's uh, 
Um, he has an MA in history from religion at Harvard University. He's a good longtime friend with Danny Sheehan, and uh, he'll be talking about the theological questions and implications of extraterrestrial contact and how you know, we should prepare our, our religious leaders for the, this inevitability. Uh, Ray Hernandez, one of uh, the real luminaries who's done so much for this movement with his uh, Conscious and Contact Research Institute, uh, where he's brought together some of the brightest minds studying this phenomenon and publishing the book uh, that came out recently uh, on, um, on non-human intelligence and the contact modalities. So he'll be doing a, a big presentation. Linton, Linda Moulton Howe, as you know, needs no introduction. I mean, a longtime investigative reporter and editor who's got her own program, and she's going to be on our panel for one of the nights. David Jacobs, uh, who's uh, with the International Center for Abduction Research, and he's um, one of the luminaries and uh, a professor of history at Temple University. Captain Ron, who's our host and moderator. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Kripal from Rice University, who's uh, been on the faculty and the graduate programs at the School of Humanities there, and is the uh, Newton Razor Chair in Philosophy and Religious Thought at Rice. He's written numerous books, including co-authored books with uh, Whitley Strieber. And so he'll be doing a formal presentation on the day, the Theological Questions Day. Barbara Lamb, another uh, luminary who's been studying this phenomenon and especially the abduction phenomenon, having interviewed as a, a clinical psychologist, uh, people who have uh, been abducted and helping them deal with the, the trauma of that and, and have helped through the arc of that traumatic experience into what now it seems to be moving into something that is more um, spiritual in nature and something that they that these abductees see as a positive experience. Um, we have Donald Schmidt, one of the co-founders of ICER, the International Center for Extraterrestrial Research, and his colleague Victor Vigiani from uh, Toronto will be uh, speaking. And Donald, as you know, is one of the foremost experts on the Roswell incident, and he'll be talking about that you got Danny, who needs no more introduction. You have myself, <laughs> uh, who, uh, you know, um, I won't, I don't need to say anything more. My very dear friend, Alan Steinfeld, who recently published the book, um, Making Contact, uh, will be with us and hosting a panel of experiencers on Saturday night. That's going to be amazing. We got Whitley Strieber. Uh, Marshall Van Summers, who you, we talked about earlier in your program, uh, Dr. Barbara Vacar, who is uh, a psych, um, PhD in psychology from Union Institute and University um, and Goddard College. She's a uh, former president of Goddard College and will be talking about some of the psychological uh, aspects of our family, human family, making contact with extraterrestrials. John Valentino, who's a strategic investor with uh, Peter Thiel Invest in Private Investing. And the reason why we brought him in here is because of his 
expertise in human consciousness in the material realm having to do with the sciences that we believe are uh, connected to the multidimensionality of this phenomenon. Uh, and he's also a very good friend of Eric Weinstein, um, who, uh, who you mentioned earlier in the program. Victor Vigiani, who's a news director with Zeland Communications, and then um, Eric Weinstein, who's a, you know, a, um, a mathematician and economist. But what you know really impresses me about him is that he's a physicist and has put forth a new theory called geometric unity that may be the the, the theory that unifies classical physics and you know uh, general relativity with um, quantum mechanics and so there are many that are thinking that this guy may be the guy who will end up uh you know unifying these two fields um and he's just a brilliant man he's a member of mensa one of the smartest men in the scientific community and uh, he'll be talking about this and we're really excited. He's gonna be joining us on the very first day and speaking uh, for an hour about his own kind of uh, paradigm shift because, you know, like uh, Danny said earlier, that, you know, he didn't believe that we were being visited by extraterrestrials. He did believe that there very well could be life elsewhere in the universe but that the distances between star systems was just too great for there to be a, uh, a mission that could get a civilization or a ship uh, from one star system to the other, uh, you know, in some, uh, you know, time frame that would make it even possible. So, uh, so now he's had a shift in his thinking because of the recent revelation about the Pentagon report and, and Lou Alessandro and and now having uh, become good friends with Danny and learning about Danny's, you know, decades of research and background in this phenomenon, he's just totally open and excited about this discussion. So this is a this is a power powerful uh, uh, schedule of amazing speakers. We're taking this to a new level, having a very serious discussion about it, and we're trying to you know have a broad. Uh, view of perspectives and both professionally and philosophically coming together and having this discussion. And at the end of the day, what we hope will will generate is a, you know, kind of uh, uh, memorandum of uh, what would be the beginning of a formal white paper on establishing a citizens diplomacy initiative and what that would look like. And later, on this campus, we'll continue to have this discussion and events and meetings where people who are adding value to the discussion and fully engaged and want to participate and help develop policies and a curriculum for an academy where people can come and become trained in diplomacy and negotiating and, and are prepared for uh, contact with extraterrestrials can become ambassadors or emissaries for this movement. So that's what our ultimate goal is here. Yeah, I was going to ask that. That's very. Uh, that's getting right to it. And um, yeah. at at the um, at the convergence, I know for sure on the campus later on. But at the convergence, is, is there going to be talk about um, uh, different protocols and 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 ways to make people can make contact? 
Yes, uh, we will be talking about some of the different uh, protocols. So um, every night we have an experiencers talk and then an experience, experiencers circle on the campus out in the soccer field. And there we will be engaging in discussions to for people to share their favorite contact modalities. Um, on the first night of that experiencer circle, Jimmy and I will be presenting the latest data on the uh, radio contact modality and the new name that we're, we're giving it and why we're giving it a new name and, uh, and how exciting that is with these, these radios. I, I just had them, as everyone probably knows on your program by now, these radios, these Baofeng handheld two-way radios are incredibly uh, important tools for our movement to allow people who are skeptics that are more scientifically oriented and maybe less inclined to try a meditative practice for initiating contact. This gives them an option to become engaged and they can, they can do their own experiments and, and, uh, and see what happens because we have something we believe is repeatable and, and consistent and will pique the curiosity of anyone who really wants to dive into this. And it's just, it's amazing that it works the way it does. It's fascinating. And uh, we think it's going to open the door for people that would otherwise maybe be skeptical about getting involved in any kind of meditative group uh, contact initiative. Yeah, for sure. Um well, Mark, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about the event and, and talking about the campus. Um, would you have any parting words for all the listeners here? Um, yeah, I, I would just encourage people to um, come to the campus. We're going to be doing um, ongoing events. And so if uh, you use the Save 100, the James Save 100 promo coupon, you're going to get $100 off. It's $149 for a five-day event. You'll want to be there. If you're watching this program right now, that means you've stuck through to the end. This will be the best $149 that you will have ever spent because this is historic. We are doing something that's never been done before, and you'll be on the ground floor watching this evolve, uh, this historic event evolve into something that will grow and become something that you potentially can become a member of this movement and help initiate global contact. And um, say, say uh, people uh, miss something, they can, they can always uh, get it later on, like later in the week or, yeah. uh, you know. The, the, the only thing is that we are keeping the price at, one, uh, at 249 with $100 savings until the 16th. So, if you buy before on the 15th of August, which is just a few days away, or before, uh, you, that price of 249 will be uh, steady, you know, but we are going to increase the price two days before the event because we don't want a flood of people uh, ordering tickets because, you know, we're human beings and people procrastinate. And we're worried about getting so many tickets sold in the last two days that it overwhelms our ability to onboard people. So if you buy your ticket now, you can actually download the software immediately and come onto the campus. 
and start getting your avatar configured and customized and then learn how to navigate your avatar around campus. And as you know, James, it, it takes a little bit of time to get that all set up. It's not a lot of time, but it really helps because people typically can have problems with their mic and their speaker. <laughs> and we have yeah. volunteers standing by who can help uh, people. We have tech support ready. And, um, and so that will help us. So we're, we're um, going to keep this price at 249 until uh, Sunday, this coming Sunday. And after that, it goes up to 369. So uh, be sure to get your ticket as soon as possible. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. And we'll see you there. All right. Thank you, James. Have a great day. You too.